Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode covers Season 3, Part 14, The Archive. So we're going to hear a little bit of what I thought and uh, some other stuff, because I was a guest on another podcast at the time that this uh, episode was originally aired on Showtime. Then with fair warning after that, in case you haven't seen Part 15 yet, uh, I am going to play a little audio from Part 15 early, the opening minute of the episode, and then describe what we see, as I always do to give us a little kickoff for the next week of podcasts. So uh, we'll talk about how that's going to pan out, Parts 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 coming up uh, at the end of this podcast. But for now... Let's focus on my initial reactions to Part 14. From my previous work on this episode, uh, in 2017, the night that this aired, I wrote, What's the biggest news this week? That the gang finally made it to Jack Rabbit's palace? That the FBI has now linked up with both Twin Peaks and Las Vegas? That Chad was busted by his compatriots? Nah, of course not. We saw all of those things coming, even if we couldn't figure out when, especially after Part 13 tipped its hand about screwy chronology. Far more shocking and memorable were any of the following. Monica Bellucci finally appears as Monica Bellucci in David Lynch's, I mean, uh, Gordon Cole's dream. Sarah Palmer literally killed an obnoxious bar patron by removing her face and then biting off his neck. Andy is the one to make contact with the other side, specifically the giant, uh, the fireman? James's gloved British buddy was sent to Twin Peaks personally by the fireman. Diane and Janie E are sisters? And yet, in some way, the scene that affected me most was the final one. Maybe simply because it was the cherry on top of everything else. The moment that tipped my overall impression towards something I've been wanting to feel but hadn't quite yet. The intoxicating desire to enter into mysteries that I suspect will never be solved. As two more random townspeople converse at the Roadhouse booth, their conversation touches on several of the figures Audrey mentioned in her conversation with Charlie, specifically Tina and Billy. Tina's daughter, and what an ominous cue we get before she reveals her mother's identity, is actually quite detailed in her account of Billy's bloody house call. Yet the incident tantalizes because it remains just out of reach. Is it because we're hearing it secondhand? Or because the actions it describes seem so strange and implausible? Or because we still don't have any context, despite such specificity? I'm not sure I can pin down the reasons why, But following all the bewildering, delightful, ominous, shocking scenes of Part 14, this conversation connected with the uncanny vibration released by Gordon's dream. Often the return has provided a not particularly reassuring sense that it will answer all our questions, including some we didn't really ask, a sense reinforced by the narrative's many dips into purely expository dialogue, its more plot-motivated excursions into lodge lore, and the way it employs and explains mysterious motifs from Firewalk with me. But tonight, we were told in subtle and explicit ways that this experience will go far deeper than rational analysis can capture. In 2017, I was invited to be a guest on Twin Peaks Peaks, another Twin Peaks podcast. And uh, here's a little section where we're talking about the idea of tulpas. Uh, actually, a long section where we're talking about that idea. This is like when uh, Wyndham Earl mentions Dugpas uh, in season two. Like it's a direct call out yeah. that's supposed to send people to their encyclopedias and I guess nowadays to Google. Um, and it has some interesting, it has some interesting implications for how we think about doppelgangers at the very least. The definition of tulpa does have those. It, it's making me scratch my head in terms of what I how I think of a doppelganger and manufactured entities really yeah this is really interesting i i'm reading the quote now 
that you put in there. The funny thing is, yeah, I, I researched a lot of theosophy for the videos, but not only did I never uh, come across Tulpa, um, I actually didn't even, I don't think I even heard Christabel say that in the episode. So everybody was talking about it on Twitter and I was like, wait, what, the Tulpa? Like I somehow just missed whatever yeah, she said. Yeah, I heard hopeful instead <laughs> yeah, of Tulpa. I think, I, yeah, I don't know what I heard, but I heard some other word and I was like, oh, that's weird. Why'd she say that? And then everyone was like talking about Tulpa. So thank you for, for bringing that in. <laughs> but it's, um, I don't have a fully formed thought because I thought that she said hopeful until like two o'clock today, but... It is interesting that, well, first of all, she says uh, the blue rose is not found in nature, it's not natural, which kind of reminded me of um, the atom bomb and kind of linking that to the creation of Bob. Um, and at the same time, this Tulpa idea, an entity created in the mind acting independently of and parallel to your own consciousness, is interestingly reminiscent of... Um, multiple personality disorder um and kind of modern theories about the fracturing of conscious consciousnesses uh and how they can act independently of one another i mean i don't know that that's what david lynch is gesturing at but that's definitely a postmodern idea of consciousness and and selfhood that we're seeing reflected in the choice of the word choice there well, somebody, um, Andrew Cook responded to to something I, I was asking about it or something someone responded to me about with it on uh, Twitter. And he said, a tulpa is a theosophist spin on the Buddhist word tulku, probably mispronouncing that, T-U-L-K-U, if I remember right, a thought form being willed into existence. So that's kind of interesting. That's it for the part 14 part of this episode. Now we're going to sneak a peek at part 15. So just as audio from the opening minute, I'll describe what we see. If you haven't watched part 15 yet, you're doing this as a spoiler-free podcast. Uh, you can tune out here, or you can keep listening and get a little sense of what we're going to see in here uh, going forward. Where's your car? How'd you get here? I walked. You walked? What's with the shovel? That's what I want to talk to you about. Those morning sounds of a sunny rural area begin over black, fading up as our view rises past treetops, green and yellow foliage of the late summer or early autumn variety, mostly deciduous and leafy, although one drooping conifer, its evergreen pines hanging loosely from its branches, anchors the left side of the frame. Quickly revealed in this moving frame are the evergreen-topped mountain peaks, which have dominated other opening shots as well. But in this case, the sensation of rising movement evokes a different mood than the usual non-moving shot. There's a feeling that the world is fluid, exciting, and progressing towards some revelation or revelations. Up we go, never pausing before the first cut that occurs nearly 20 seconds into the sequence. 
allowing the blue sky to remain across the top of the frame as the mountains loom, the treetops disappear, and the valley of brown and green is revealed beneath the peaks. First cut, a more still but not entirely static diagonal composition, a white painted line tracing from near the bottom left corner to about two-fifths of the way up the right side, tracing the edge of a paved road along which Nadine is walking, a small figure in a dark brown sweater, light brown tan skirt falling just past her knees, and bright white shoes. Her, hair, her red hair and black eye patch stand out against the background, and we can see she's carrying something over her right shoulder, gripping the long object with both hands. But she's a small piece of the shot when it opens, the only point of movement but currently overwhelmed by her surroundings. Tall wooden poles carrying phone and electrical wires, two in the frame, and there's one fully visible, the other one cut off at the top. Uh, there's a third cut-off pole apparently bearing lights to illuminate a car lot, and a fourth light pole in the distance on the other side of the central car lot building. And there's a variety of cars and trucks that crowd the gravel lot to Nadine's right, huddled broadly near the center of the frame. A black and white truck cab next to what looks like a green-grilled jeep, and, or pickup, pokes out behind it. Both are in front of a wooden piecemeal fence above which the white cargo box of Atlas Van Line storage trucks rise. A bright yellow rear of a truck juts out behind the others, while the rest of the eclectic collection... Red, silver, orange, blue, black, green, several white, crowd in front of a brown-roofed, white-and-tan-sided bay, perhaps a repair shop or a used car office, speckled with signs that are too hard to read from this distance. At the end of the lot, as well as looming over it, lines of trees, mostly evergreen. A bit of mountain peeks out in the gap between these clusters, with cloudless blue sky occupying the top right quadrant of the frame. The camera bobs ever so slightly, again reinforcing a sensation of movement and freedom, but also preparing to pan slightly with Nadine's brisk pace as she strolls with determination along the white line. She's kept roughly on the left edge of the frame, although she's moving closer to the center after 10 seconds of the shot, or sorry, the right edge of the frame, but she's moving closer to the center after 10 seconds of the shot, at which point a two-second cross-dissolve begins, into a head-on, medium shot of Nadine walking towards us. The backwards dolly keeps pace, so she remains the same size in the frame. Trees lie on either side. A mountain peak pokes out just between her head and the tree line on screen right, and the diagonals of the road lines reinforce her as our focal point, although she is not at the center of the frame, but rather slightly screen left. We now see clearly that she is holding a shovel spray-painted gold. She is smiling, lips as red as her nail polish on the hands gripping that shovel tightly. A sign facing the other way with a Shorter, similarly colored brownish-red pole jutting out further down the roadside occupy the otherwise graveled and grassy lane to Nadine's right, our left on screen. It's stre and then stretching between the road and the trees, um, there's that open space. The other side of the road, though, has a shorter grassy patch between trees and road, and the trees on that side fill the whole like right side of the upper frame, and they cast shadows across this road which don't quite reach Nadine. Her head is surrounded by blue sky. Five seconds and we cut to a point of view shot, a blue V created by the tree lines of either side, filling between a third and half the frame. The composition bobs and weaves to suggest Nadine's movement as she walks. In the distance, a red SUV pulls out of a side street and onto the main road. A white car is parked on the left side of the street, down from a mailbox, but for the most part, this one-lane dotted yellow stretch of road is empty. Tree shadows now stretch all the way across the road to the other side in front of us, but much of the right side, which was the left side in the previous shot facing the other way, the side that's punctuated by power lines, remains bright and illuminated. A yellow sign posted on Nadine's side of the road stands out. Under 21, zero tolerance, though only the large zero is easy to read. Three seconds and we're on to a medium close-up shot of Nadine. 
same position on the horizontal plane as in her medium shot. She opens and closes her palms and taps her fingers around the shovel shaft, jutting her chin in the air and continuing her closed mouth smile. We see a Route 90 sign on the right side. Two cars, an SUV and perhaps a sedan, drive toward or pass Nadine from behind her on that side. And then three seconds in and another cross dissolve. A medium wide from Nadine's left side, which might begin as a dolly keeping pace with her steps, but quickly converts to a pan, capturing her walk across the horizontal plane uh, on a paved lot. As the cross dissolve ends, she's passing the Alpine Fitness storefront, unobstructed mountain or large hill looming behind it, and entering her husband's property. Cars are parked in the distance to the back of the buildings near a green storage container, with a white trailer under sturdy awning cover and a yellow cargo truck peeking out behind it. And we can glimpse the edges of a white tent cover through one of the windows in Big Ed's garage. Nadine passes the white garage, the pan revealing bright red and blue colors. The half-circle Big Ed's gas farm sign is visible on the shingled roof of this garage, a white ovular egg with yellow lines shooting out of it against a yellow background with red lettering. Other signs are revealed briefly, legible as Nadine passes. Caution in red, please no smoking, stop your engine, extinguish fires, and open and all open lights in black against white and with a black border, and tune up lube plus oil, brakes, batteries, as white lettering on blue with a blue background, I mean. The first stall is empty. The second stall harbors a car or truck on lifts, and the third garage stall is closed off by a bluish-gray door matching the metal garbage canister outside of it. A shelf holding tools and containers separates the two. An American flag ripples next to the front entrance, above a vertical wooden auto part sign, and an awning stretches from this entrance over gas pumps. Beneath the awning, a blue structure stretches over a red-fronted pumps, with a sign stretched between two columns. All repairs strictly cash. A large lamp-slash-signpost with two lights on either side like little arms stands between Nadine and the pump area she's approaching. The blue-backed sign atop this post, higher than anything except perhaps the official Big Ed sign, reads, Transmissions Plus Incorporated, your drivetrain specialists, in yellow, with the image of an auto body part between them. Behind this awning, there's a Napa Auto Parts store, with vinyl siding but a white stone brick facade that's facing the road. It's split up by large windows. And there's a yellowish-orange pickup truck jutting out just behind this building, with more trees behind that. The blue sky now appears in more than half of this frame. One more sign appears on the left side of the frame in the distance as Nadine finishes her approach, inside a white box surrounded by a red frame on which white lettering reads, Free, Brakes Check. Makeshift black lettering reads, We install brakes, mufflers, and motors. Of course, the most important part of this image, aside from Nadine, has not been discussed yet. She's walking toward a dark, bluish-gray sedan, which is pulling away from a pump, and that's not important. It's who's pumping. Big Ed, her husband, in blue jeans and red flannel, noticing as she calls to him and his customer departs. Cutting nine seconds after the last cross dissolved to an over-Ed's right shoulder shot, we see Nadine on the left side of the frame excitedly stop, just in front of him, gazing up with admiration and anticipation. Behind her, in the gym parking lot, dotted with six not-too-brightly-or-noticeably-colorful cars, a sign with makeshift lettering is barely visible. Alpine Fitness. Makers of fine bodies and spirits. Three months. $99. Nadine is now carrying the shovel in front of her, horizontally across her body, as if ready to hand it to Ed. We cut to a reverse medium of Ed, confused, glancing around behind Nadine for her car, before returning his gaze to her. Behind him, another pump, this one with a yellow front, and the edge of the Napa building. Ed is in light shadow, but still, blue sky is visible through the porous facades of Ed's pump area. Ed gestures toward Nadine's shovel. We cut back to the reverse of her looking up at him, and speaking proudly as our minute ends. That is it for this episode and this week of episodes. And uh, as you can tell, it was a messy week for part 14. There were days without episodes. There were multiple episodes on other days. 
It was hard for me to keep up with the schedule, but I'm going to continue on to part 15. I've got a little more clear space to work on some stuff now and uh, hopefully keep up with the pace through the end of the year, through part 18. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can support this work on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies and stay tuned later today for the next episode welcoming you to part 15 and the illustrated companion for that for all the whole week of part 15 episode should already be up on the uh, site on lostinthemovies.com when you hear this because i'm putting it up late uh, the morning after uh, the archive episode was intended to go up on the friday but it's going up just before the part 15 week begins so just make it under that cut so thanks for listening and see you soon very soon for part 15 